There's lots and lots. I, I gave you the four basic emotions. Some say six basic emotions. They add disgust and surprise to sadness, anger, happiness, and fear. But there's hundreds of emotions. I've seen charts of, I used to have one on the wall in my office, like 300 different, 300 or more different emotions. Vocabulary is rich when it comes to, but they're all like combinations and permutations and, and variations. And, and again, the positive emotions are telling us, stay the course, keep doing what you're doing. And the negative emotion, so-called negative, though it has value, that's my point, is just saying course correction needed. There's something you don't understand. And that's what fear is, the feeling of not understanding. It's got nothing to do with danger. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hi, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to today's episode of Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're here on Zoom, as you know, if you're here with us live every Sunday morning, 11 o'clock California time. And for those unable to attend live, we post the entire video on YouTube and we put an edited version out as an audio podcast to all podcast players and aggregators. And all of it can be easily found by searching Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Google, with your YouTube search, with your podcast player search, Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Remember, I do private intensive work, and the first one is free if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one work might be a single session. Could be the free session is all you need. That happens once in a while. And if you're interested in counseling or the fly training, which is a 10-session intensive, all private, one-on-one, -on -one, really, really powerful personal development stuff on emotional intelligence, critical thinking, peak performance, all kinds of wonderful tools and techniques. Uh, the best of, kind of a Jedi training. I call it fly, feeling like yourself. Just go to michaelbenner.com and click on the red circle. You'll access my online calendar and be able to schedule that initial free session. Today's class is about anger, how to de-escalate, how to manage anger in others as well as yourself. Now, in most personal development work, we find ourselves saying repeatedly, you can't do for another person anything you're unable to do for yourself. So we usually talk about, you know, everybody wants to change the world, 
but few people ever consider changing themselves as a way to do it. It's risk-free to want to fix other people, right? Uh, you don't have any skin in the game when you say, oh, I just want to help out. I just want to change the world. Yeah, well, doing what? How are you going to help? What do you have to offer? And that has to come from your own personal work. So this is understandable, like the, you know, that old aphorism about putting your air mask on first before you remember every time you've taken a commercial airplane flight, they have to tell you that uh, if the mask drops, put yours on first before you try to help somebody else. Why is that not selfish to put yourself first, right? So it makes perfect sense. And yet today, after we do our opening meditation, we're going to talk about anger in terms of how you can help other people with their anger as a way of learning to manage your own. We're going to approach it sort of uh, in a backward way today. And I'm not talking about helping people who are angry at you manage their anger. <laughs> If if their anger is directed at you, you're probably the last person to help them manage their anger. But um, in another situation, you know, let's say your partner is upset with a friend or a work associate or, you know, got cut off in traffic or screamed at a retail clerk or a waitress or something. And uh, how do you have those conversations? Or if you're in a work environment, you're a boss, you're a supervisor, you're a manager, or an executive. Uh, I've seen <laughs> very high-powered executive meetings explode like they were kindergarten. And here's people bringing down six figures who ought to know better. And they, they bit flip. And I'm not getting us for a show of hands, but I bet every one of us has at some point some point in our life, bit flipped, or you just see red and lose it, and anger becomes rage, and we do and say often very regrettable things. So how do we avoid that? Some of what we'll talk about today. Anger is the king of negative emotions, if I can say it that way. It's the biggest, it's the baddest, it's the most difficult to manage. And yet, I would argue that our negative emotions, so-called only because they hurt, have value. I've always had a little problem with calling negative emotions negative because they have real value. Like, um, I understand that nobody wants to feel emotional pain. We also would rather not feel physical pain and often go out of our way to avoid it. But imagine the damage that could be done that you could do to yourself if you felt no pain whatsoever. You know, you might unknowingly put your open palm on a hot stove burner and smell meat cooking before you realize what you've done to your hands. So a little, oh, damn, that's hot. Ow, see? Feeling that pain is a good thing. That's a feedback loop. But when it's emotional pain, it's not so easy to pull your hand away, is it? <laughs> when it's emotional pain, we often are confused and find the source 
of the emotion, the negative feeling, to be a little confusing or complex. The meaning and the significance of why am I angry is often escapes us, is often difficult to realize. In fact, it's not uncommon for people to even be in denial about their negativity. You can hear the foghorn in the background, they just don't see it. They see it in others. You're projecting, <laughs> but it's it's often much harder to see in yourself. So people say, you know, angrily exclaim, I am not angry, and then threaten you. If you say, I'm angry again, I'm going to smash you in the face, right? To prove that I'm not angry. Well, what is that about? It's a survival mechanism, basically. Anger is a defense mechanism, and it is complex. And so we're going to dissemble anger today. I think you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to find it valuable. I don't, maybe enjoy is not quite the right word, but some valuable tips for you today on how to manage anger in relationships with other people and um, in your own self. Eight tips for managing anger with others. Eight tips for managing anger with yourself, within yourself. So let's do our opening meditation. If you'll get comfortable in your furniture, your chair. And three, his eyes open, wide awake, back in the room now. Open your eyes. Back in the room, wide awake. Wide awake, feeling fine, better and better. And you may want to stretch a little bit. Stomp your feet a little bit. Get back in your body. Make sure everything make sure everything works. And thank you for that. Welcome back. Good. The premise of my book, Fearless Intelligence, is that fear has nothing to do with danger. And it's an odd premise because every dictionary that you look in, at least everyone I've ever looked in, is very clear about fear being a response to the appearance of danger or some sort of threat, whether real or imagined. And it's just not true. There are clinicians that attempt to discern a distinction between fear and anxiety. And they say, well, fear is a response to danger. Anxiety is more of a stress response to nonspecific Oh, confusion or uh, overstimulation, um, just the stresses of trying to do too much, having too much on your plate. Well, the reason I think that that's a false dichotomy and that anxiety and fear are the same thing and manifest across a whole spectrum from panic and horror and, and terror and phobias on one end of the scale to just a little bit of nervousness and mild apprehension or uh, you know a minor concern on the other end of the scale. People say, well, I'm not afraid. I, I am concerned. I worry a little about this or that, but I wouldn't call it fear. Okay, well, I would. <laughs> How about that? 
Part of managing your fear is recognizing that it's not limited to big, overwhelming freak out, turn and run, right? Or the kind of nervousness that makes you bite your fingernails in anticipation. It's the subtlest disturbance, the slightest irritation. Cop to it, embrace it. It's an alert, it's a warning sign on the dashboard. As I said before the meditation, negative feelings have value. I know you don't want to feel heartache and you don't want to feel sad and lonely. And you don't want to feel jealous and you don't want to be angry. Well, usually we don't want to be angry. Um, we did do a class on grudges the other day and retribution and vengeance. There's a certain bloodlust and all of that. But when we're in our better mind, we know that that's not productive, quite the contrary. So the problem is getting stuck in fear and all of the so-called negative emotions that go along with it. A negative emotion is an emotion that hurts. Positive emotions, we know those, that's happiness, right? Joy, um, I wanna say love, but love's really not an emotion. That's a whole, whole other class. Love is more of a drive. Love indeed is consciousness, it's awareness itself. But it does have emotional qualities like happiness and peace of mind and such. So, But technically, even clinical psychology will say, no, love is not an emotion. The basic emotions are happiness, sadness, anger, and fear. And the sadness and the anger are rooted in fear. And the jealousy and the envy and the hatred and the cruelty and the indecency and the <laughs> nasty, insulting things that we say and our attempt to hurt other people to make sure they know how badly they've hurt us all the way out to war and shooting at people you've never been properly introduced to. Hot lead through the air, bang, take that. Because my bullets are good bullets and my bombs are good bombs. And the blood we shed is good blood. So, you know, emotional intelligence is huge. It's amazing that it took us until the 20th century to even begin to study it in psychology. So it's, it's our worship of the mind as cognitive, as mental, as logical and analytical, and our misperception of emotions as easily overwhelming that, that people are resistant to the whole idea of there being intelligence in your emotions. People, people say, Michael, what is emotional intelligence? When I get emotional, when I get angry, my emotions go right out the window. I mean, that's the last thing I have access to is intelligence. Mental intelligence, being reasonable. Reason is the first thing I sacrifice when I get emotional. Right? And it's not just anger. It could be emotionally sad. You know, feeling sorry for yourself, whatever. 
There's lots and lots. I, I gave you the four basic emotions. Some say six basic emotions. They add disgust and surprise to sadness, anger, happiness, and fear. But there's hundreds of emotions. I've seen charts of, I used to have one on the wall in my office, like 300 different, 300 or more different emotions. Vocabulary is rich when it comes to, but they're all like combinations and permutations and, and variations. And, and again, the positive emotions are telling us, stay the course, keep doing what you're doing. And the negative emotion, so-called negative, though it has value, that's my point, is just saying course correction needed. There's something you don't understand. And that's what fear is, the feeling of not understanding. It's got nothing to do with danger. How often has somebody said to you, or you perhaps said to yourself, why am I so worried? What am I worried about? And the answer is, I don't know. You might say it again and again, well, I don't know. I don't know. I had a client this week said, I don't know, seven times in a row. <laughs> I sat back and counted. I don't know. He just kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's the point. That's what, call it anxiety, nervousness, worry, doubt, fear, the big F word. It's what you don't know. It's what you don't understand. That's what fear is. And you've probably heard the little uh, personal development uh, aphorisms about fear is false evidence appearing real. I like that, frankly. Or forget everything and run. <laughs> or one of my favorites, fear knocked on the door. I answered, nobody was there. You may want to write that one down. Fear knocked on the door. I answered, nobody was there. It's a shadow made out. It's an apparition. It's a nightmare. Even if it's just a little tiny bit of nervousness, much less the anger that I want to talk about today. If it irritates you, if it frustrates you, if it's uncomfortable in any way, it's a so-called negative feeling. It's fear-based. Love and fear. That's it. That's the yin and the yang of emotions, love and fear. Well, in many ways, anger is the king of these emotions, and it's complex. But the what we don't know that it is found in all fear-based emotions, all hurtful emotions, all so-called negative emotions, is whether we're safe or not. You see, there's two areas of not knowing, two kinds of ignorance in fear. First is situational awareness. I don't know what's going to happen in the world around me. And that's frightening me. And so knowing and understanding would be the antidote. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great transcendentalist. Knowledge is the antidote to fear. Proves right there that fear and anxiety too, for that matter, are reduced and eventually eliminated as you understand them, as you face them. That's all they want. That's all fear wants, is to be addressed and faced and embraced. 
Tell me what I don't know about the situation, about the world around me. But secondly, and often more importantly, self-awareness, situational awareness, but at the center is self-awareness. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm for. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know if I'm up to the task. I don't know why I do the things I do. I don't know why I think the way I think. And I clearly have no idea why I feel the way I feel. That's the problem. And yet we project and we focus, oh, my problem is Joe and Sally and, and my spouse doesn't understand me and my rotten kids and my parents and the politicians and the world's corrupt and it's those immigrants and people of color and yada, 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 yada. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a lack of self-awareness, the root of all fear. It's the anxiety of feeling all alone and having this massive identity crisis. All the pundits on television and magazines and newspapers now will be happy to talk to you about identity politics, but they don't talk so much about the identity crisis behind it. What is all this gay, straight, gender, fluid, trans? Uh, uh, I heard on the news this morning, Barbie, Barbie doll is a communist. It's getting insane. It's, get, it's been insane for quite a while. Barbie's a communist, I heard this morning. Um, we can't have any new military officers appointed uh, until Senator Tuberville gets his abortion bill passed. Some insane craziness going on uh, and all of this culture war is about people trying to figure out who they are the tattoos uh, the 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 crazy dressing the neon hair the body piercing like i say the trans this and the gender that and the fluidity and people are trying to figure out who they are and they ought to be able to do that and on the left, there seems to be this um, push toward individuality. And on the right, the same process leads to a search for a tribe. I, I, I don't mean for that to be polarly exclusive, but I think that's the tendency. But we're all trying to just figure out who we are and ought to be free enough in a democratic society to be whoever we are, as long as we're not like, you know, stomping on the toes of other people. So how much anger comes out of that and why? It's all confusion. It's really just, that's what fear is. That's what anger is. Anger is a defense mechanism. Now, I want to take a few minutes here to go over some notes very quickly that I have about de-escalating anger in others. So first of all, here's eight tips for de-escalating anger in others. And again, this is not if they're angry at you. Uh, one of the curious things about anger is it's very directional. Uh, we might be jealous of others or envious of others, but we're angry at them. <laughs> you might feel sad generally, but you're not really sad at other people. Anger is special and always really directed. So if somebody is angry at you, you may not be the best person to help them manage their anger. 
But there are other situations where maybe your spouse is having a tough time, you know, they're experiencing some road rage or yelled at a retail clerk or a waitress or the kids are driving him or her crazy or their parents or neighbors or whatever. Or like I say, in a work environment, you're a manager, a supervisor. Here's eight quick tips that will help you. First of all, don't do this in public. This, is, this should not be a group effort. Move to a private area. Watch your body language. People hear what you say, but at least half of communication comes from what you do, how you stand or how you sit, how you place yourself. Don't get too close to people in a situation like this. Sit or stand at least two or three feet away and do it at an angle. Sitting obviously would be better than standing, right? It's a more relaxed position. But don't square off knee to knee. Sit at a slight angle like a 30 degrees or 45 degrees. That really helps. Keep your hands in front of you and keep your palms up, right? You might say, well, what difference does that make? These are subtle cues, but the unconscious mind can pick this stuff up. Of course, if you're going to help somebody manage their anger, you're going to want to be empathetic. And that really requires you to be a good listener and non-judgmental in your listening. Say as little as, you don't need to say a lot. You need to listen, listen, listen. And short questions, not long, convoluted, you know, you're not a psychiatrist, you're not doing psychoanalyst, you're not even Ann Landers. I'm dating myself. <laughs> Dear Abby, uh, you know, well, how's that feel? Well, why do you feel that way? Well, you know, tell me more. There's a great question. Tell me more. And then, or here's one I like, because, just say, to keep them going, because, kind of an open-ended, continue, please. Be sure you speak in calm and measured tones. You want to pause, breathe, allow yourself to search for the right word. That gives them permission to go slow, to pause, to breathe, to look for the right word. And of course, you want to ask about the thoughts behind the feelings. You can calm down, get them breathing. Um, why do you think you feel that way? What led to that? Tell me the story. If you get directly challenged, like, well, what would you do? Well, what would you expect me to do about that? You know, I don't know what you want from me. Anybody would be angry in this situation. You don't have to take those direct hits. Be the matador, just sort of sidestep or even ignore those kinds of direct challenges and redirect and go back to the issue of these are your feelings, right? I know they were stimulated by another, but they're coming from you. They're your response. So when was the last time you felt that way? What does this, what does this remind you of? Help them work through it that way. Especially if you're an authority figure, like a boss, a manager, uh, a parent, even a spouse, set boundaries and expectations. Look, here's what we're going to have to do while we're working this out until we get it figured out. Going to have to have some ground rules in the meantime, right? Set some boundaries. 
and allow time for silence and careful decision-making. Silence is golden. And when you don't know what to say, it's perfectly okay not to say anything. <laughs> Crazy idea. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything, you know. Silence can be awkward, but sit through it anyway. Or if you're a good leader, again, or want to be a good leader, aspire to be a good leader, just even... Uh, well, let's just sit here with the silence for a second, see what comes up, okay? Right? Those are good leadership, leadership skills. Now, let's talk about eight tips for de-escalating your own anger. I did a little, <laughs> did a little research this week on this. I wanted to see what other people were saying, uh, besides what I've put together in my own practice over the years. And uh, I... I <laughs> I was amazed at how much stuff on the internet around anger management says basically stop doing it. <laughs> Don't be angry. It's sort of a, a, a Dr. Phil approach to anger management. Don't do it. And uh, <laughs> it's not very good advice. I mean, it's good advice. It's just not very helpful. <laughs> just What do you mean? If I could stop doing it, I would have. So let's go a little beyond just don't do it. I think by far the most important, the most effective way to manage anger or any negative emotion as far as that goes is to be a practitioner of mindfulness meditation. Because what mindfulness meditation and indeed meditation in general is about is learning to pay attention learning to focus your attention, to notice what you notice, largely free from distraction and the grasshopper effect of your mind jumping all over the place or the so-called monkey mind. That's why we practice meditation. You say, why am I watching my breath? Why does Michael, <laughs> why does Michael keep having us do this? Well, because it's there. I could have you do an eyes open meditation holding a flower and just look at the flower. The importance of the exercise is to gently fix your attention, to build that muscle we talked about last week and a little the week before in the frontal lobes, the executive function of the frontal lobes the decision-making ability to look at your choices, your options, to consider the alternatives and, and to review the consequences before you initiate an action. This is a muscle that needs developing. And until you're 20, 21, 22 years old, that part of your brain's not even fully developed yet. That's why kids do such stupid, reckless stuff. Teenagers, you say to a teenager, well, what's wrong with you? Did, didn't you think that? Didn't you think it through? And no, I didn't. I don't have the brain yet. I'm, I'm not 21. Brain's still developing. So practicing mindfulness meditation is going to help you open the space between what happens to you and how you respond, don't you see? That's the secret to before you're triggered to open that 
point of awareness where you say, I have choices. Remember the four points last week? I have choices. Number two, always more choices than are immediately apparent. Number three, my choices are in how I look at it and how we respond, not in battling the stimulus, which has already happened. And number four, I choose for the greater good of all, not simply my self-centered, selfish self. Starting with I have choices, that's radical. If you're getting angry and you say, wait, I have choices, the anger subsides. That's powerful. And with a practice of meditation, you begin to see the anger in yourself on the horizon while it's just a little guy coming toward you. And you go, you say to yourself, you know, this is starting to really irritate me. <laughs> this is starting to upset me. I can see it coming. Here it comes, marching right at me. Big, full-fledged, monstrous anger. By the time it gets here, I'm going to see red. I'm going to be the raging bull. There'll be no stopping me. I will say outrageous stuff. I will do regrettable things. I might end up in prison or dead. Or I may start a war or get other people hurt or live the rest of my life regretting that instant that I allowed it to get all over me because I wasn't prepared. I didn't see it coming and I didn't do anything. But if you practice meditation and reminding yourself repeatedly, I always have choices more than are immediately apparent. And you see that anger coming toward you on the horizon. Now's the time to nip it in the bud. As Barney Fife would say, nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. I've got a mnemonic for you. It's called the Brain Mnemonic. It's in my book, Fearless Intelligence, way near the last chapter. And people never get to it. B-R-A-I-N, brain. B-R-A-I-N. Here's what it stands for. B, breathe. R, relax. A, accept accountability. Again, emotions are responses. They're not done to you. They're a response to the stimulus that's been done to you. Nobody made you angry. They insulted you, they irritated you, they demeaned you, they frustrated you, they frightened you. And anger was one of many responses that could have come up. But it's yours, so you have to accept accountability. Responsibility is your ability to choose your response. B-R-A, breathe, relax, accept it as yours. I is initiate a response in place of a reflexive knee-jerk reaction. An even-tempered, well-reasoned response initiated. I've thought about it. I've decided that I'm going to respond to my anger and my fear and my frustration in this way. 
And the more I think about it, the more choices I have, the more I reflect on the consequences, the happier I'll be with the outcome. And the N is Nick's negativity. I'm going to want to hear about your negativity. All right. B-R-A-I-N, the brain mnemonic. Breathe, relax, accept accountability, initiate the response instead of a reflexive reaction, and no negativity. When speaking to others about your anger, and this also is real important, gang, real, I can't. I can't overstate this. Use I statements. And this is hard. So you may have to catch yourself and redirect yourself when you start saying you. You know, well, you're the one. Well, you always and you never and you did this and you started it. Well, you said and remember that time 10 years ago? Oh, we're going back 20 years now. Yeah, well. I've never forgotten that. Well, that's my problem. You never forgot that. Yeah, well, you, 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 you. And you pause for a breath and the other one goes, well, you, 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 you. So you're not going to get anywhere with that. What you see is defensive. The person that you're angry with or arguing with will see is offensive. What they see is their defense <laughs> to your offensive defensiveness, <laughs> he will see is offensive. It's like nuclear war. There really is no defense in an argument. So you end up, everybody is offensive and feeling self-righteous about, well, I'm only defending myself by being offensive and saying you and Blaming and blaming and blaming. Don't blame yourself. The alternative is not to blame yourself. It's to take responsibility. That's not self-blame. So I feel, I feel, and then I felt for whatever reason, and that led me to feel and be humble. Maybe I'm confused. Take the hit. Tell me where I misunderstood you. That kind of thing. All right. Um, the next point is find in your body where the anger is centered and give it a shape or a form. See if you can find your anger, finding an emotion in the body. Give it a shape. Where is it located? What's it look like? Give it a color. Give it a temperature. Give it a texture. Well, my anger is this fiery, hot, red, ball of flame in my belly, in my heart. Well, actually, it's in my hands now that I think about it. What are your hands doing? Maybe it's in your groin. Maybe you want to kick something. You might be surprised where you find that anger and what it looks like. But now you're cross-wiring with visualization. You're you're giving your brain a way of getting a grip on what anger looks like, what it feels like to the touch and where it is in your body. It's easier to then reverse that image. I mean, if your anger is a fire, what are you going to do? That's right. Turn on the sprinklers. If your anger is a vice grip, what are you going to do? Yeah. Back off the vice. If it's a spring that's wound too tight, what are you going to do? You unwind the spring. Breathe into it. 
feel the letting go. That's all creative imagination, guided imagery, visualization. And then finally, look for the hurt in your anger. This is a big clue. What hurts? Usually we're just so angry we don't even look at the hurt. And when you find the hurt, then find the sadness. You go, sadness? I'm angry, I'm not sad. Well, when you find the hurt behind the anger, you'll find the sadness also. And then breathe and let go and drink some water and take a walk and breathe some more and you'll be just fine.